Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Atlanta Startup Podcast. I'm William Leonard, your host and investor here at Valor Ventures, a leading seed stage VC firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And today I'm really excited to sit down with Garrett Langley, founder and CEO of Flock Safety. Garrett, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Awesome. Well, you know, I must start by saying congratulations. I saw the team just announced uh, Series D funding led by Andreessen. You know, you you got it on this journey back a few years ago. So, you know, how does it feel right now to have Series D funding under your belt? It's a bit surreal. I remember when we were at my dining room table or my kitchen table four years ago, you know, we said like, look, this thing's going to really work. We're going to have to raise at least a hundred million dollars. You know, it's a hardware company. There's machine vision, there's software. Like it's just, it's an inexpensive business to build. It's not a pure SaaS play. And it's very weird to now be looking at our, you know, Carta information and see $230 million in total capital raised and be like, all right, I guess it's, I guess it's working pretty well then if we've done this. So. Yeah, for sure, man. That is a huge accomplishment. Not, not many can say. But um, yeah, let's kick it off. We'd love to, you, you dove into a little bit about what you're doing, but I would love for you to take it a step further and just educate our listeners on what Flock Safety is practically doing. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, four years ago, my, my co-founders and I were sitting at a dining room table asking the question, why does crime exist? Or like bluntly, like why should crime exist? And I, I think if you remove the like evil, the truly evil people in the world, which unfortunately they do exist, like crime is largely an opportunistic problem. Like it exists because people believe they can get away with it. And so we challenged ourselves to say like, what if we could build a company that was focused on using technology to help fight crime? Um, if you look at the data as a market, it's like incredibly underserved. Uh, the generations before us and the two generations before us, the law enforcement industry was largely you know, looked up upon. And if you follow the news today, like that's just, that's not largely the case anymore. Uh, it is an industry that is not, doesn't have the kind of allure it used to have. And the ramification of that is a lot of people like you and myself don't want to go build technology companies to solve that. So, hey, insurance, that's got a bunch of technology. Finance, it's got a bunch of technology. Real estate, a lot of technology. There's nothing happening in public safety. And so that was kind of the genesis of like, let's go build a public safety technology company. And the first product was what we call our Falcon. It's a car, it's a camera that's designed to read license plates and track cars. So the high level use case, I have a, a flock camera in my front yard. Let's say, unfortunately, someone stole my car. As soon as they drove past my camera, a, a few seconds later, the nearest police officer gets a notification in their vehicle and says, hey, you know, Garrett's, uh, Garrett's Toyota Prius, you know, GT698L, was just spotted. It's a known stolen vehicle. Go get them. And so what's cool is today we help law enforcement make about 185 arrests a day, which accounts for just over 1% of all arrests in America. That is uh, really interesting. And so I would assume that you encountered some issues yourself or personally or within family that really led to, to you saying like, this is enough. We need a solution here. Yeah. I mean, like many communities in Atlanta and in just in you know urban or suburban environments, my neighborhood was the victim of a pretty organized evening. Uh, some gang came in, broke into what seemed like every single car in the neighborhood. And it was really frustrating because I could tell the look on the face of the officer who came to my community to talk about it said, look, like I want to help. 
like this stinks for you and it stinks for me because I can't do anything. Like you have a grainy picture from a from a doorbell camera. That's great. But what do you want me to do next? And that's when it was like, okay, light bulb. This guy wants he you can go look at this person's salary. That's not like they're pulling in crazy money. He did this job, joined this career because he wants to make an impact on his community as a police officer, yet he doesn't have any evidence. He doesn't have any tools. And so it was really this idea of like, how can we go build the tools our law enforcement need to be more objective, to be more ethical, to be more transparent, and then also go solve a bunch of crime. Yeah. What's your background, Garrett? Um, I know you're from the metro Atlanta area. You know, where did you go to school? What did you do prior to, to building Flock Safety? Yeah. So I have a running joke that I've never had a real job, I guess. <laughs> I, uh, I got hooked up with some guys right out of high school. Uh, who were Georgia Tech grads. I went to Georgia Tech electrical engineering, but I wasn't my plan. I actually um, met these guys. They had taken a company public in the 90s. We're starting another company. And like I was like, I want to work here. I didn't really know what startups were. This is back in the early 2000s. And uh, and I got the, got the itch there. Kind of like, wow, you could just... The world I grew up in as a kid, people didn't start companies. That's like that foreign idea. You don't raise money. You just, you go get a job. And so I met these guys and you know, they started companies and I thought, I didn't know that was a career path. And so I kind of got the itch there. It was, it was fortunately a, a financial success. We wound up selling the company to Qualcomm, started another company with the same group of guys uh, that, that was another success. And really then was like, all right, I know what I'm gonna do the rest of my life. Like th the fact that you can just have an idea, make a little bit of progress and then find people like yourselves who can give you a little bit of seed money, go get a little bit more traction. Like that ecosystem is just, I think it's, the definition of like the American dream, I guess, is you can start with nothing and actually end up with a whole lot of something and make a dent on the world. Yeah, that's so true, man. It's um, being a founder is an interesting journey. I, I can't relate to it, but I speak with founders every single day and I can just see you lighting up with passion in your eyes and, and in your voice and how excited you are to build every single day. It rubs off on others, you know? Well, and I think too, what's not talked about very often, and I'm, I'm not sure why, at least in the in the venture community, I think in the in the bootstrapped world, it's more talked about. But in the venture world, like you know, I was I was talking to one of our one of my colleagues in LA, and he's one of our technicians, and he was like, "This is the best job I've ever had," and I was like, "Whoa, right?" Like as a founder, you you think about we raise all this money, you know, we 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 are building this really cool product, but you forget that there's like at Flockno, you know, there's just over 300 people who I hope I'm cr I've created an opportunity for them to have the best, most rewarding job of their lives. And like, that's a part of the founding experience that I, uh, maybe I took for granted before, but now as we continue to kind of get into later stages, it's a big part of what keeps me excited is the impact that I can have and the company can have on our team's kind of just lives, you know, and his, and in that case, his family's life as well. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I think it's appropriate to to dive in a little bit here, you know, you you just closed or announced that at Series D round, you've raised some rounds of capital prior to that, and yep. navigating the fundraising world is just it's it's difficult. It's not easy. It's time consuming. It's daunting in some some cases. You know, do you have any advice for early stage founders who are going out, maybe raising a pre seed or seed round? You know, how can they more effectively? navigate the fundraising process and, and how can they really pitch their value add to VCs in these interactions? Yeah. I mean, we did a, a seed round, we did our series A, we did our series B, did our series C and just closed our series D. So we've raised a lot of money. Um, 
and you know, there's something that I that I don't think enough founders talk about, which is not every funding round is going to be a home run. Our seed was a home run. Our Series A was a home run. Our Series B was a struggle. I thought we were ready to raise capital. The market didn't agree with the the milestones we had hit. Our Series C was a home run. Our Series D was home run. Look at companies like Facebook. They have crappy round. They had crappy rounds too. They had flat and down rounds at Facebook. Now it is a you know on its way to be a trillion dollar company. So I mean, I talked to a lot of early stage founders, and the thing that I always go to is like. You got to have one of three things to raise money in a seed stage. You got to have a successful exit beforehand. Because then it's really easy to go raise money. Pattern matching. So I'm going to assume that 99% of the people listening have not had successful exit. Most people haven't. So like, let's remove that one out. The second one is like, you got to have real traction. And like, that's hard because if you're raising at a seed stage, like the question is, what is enough traction? You know, I was talking to someone recently who their product goes live this Friday. And he was like, what's enough traction? And my, my point to him was like, investors invest on emotion, not, not rationality. And it's a lot about your conviction. So my question back to him was like, what's enough traction for you to have a different point of view on your business? So like for me at Flock, we had seven customers, $25,000 in ARR, and we went and raised our seed round. Because for me, like my personal conviction, which would be conveyed through the pitch, had fundamentally changed. I was like, holy smokes, there are seven strangers who believe in this product and we're doing something. So that, that's like the second is like, I think it actually has a lot more to do with the founder, like the attra- attraction level, but some traction. And then the third thing that I think is maybe the most important personal opinion on the seed stage is like, what's that hook, right? As a VC, you probably see, you know, a dozen companies a week, a day, a month, whatever, you have a lot of deal flow. So the question becomes like, what is truly unique? And every business has to have that, like we always used to call it the cocktail party test. It's like, what's that one slide or what's that one line that when I'm at a cocktail party later tonight, I'm like, you know, I met this one company and this happened. And so for Flock, we were fortunate in our seed stage, we, we had one slide on our deck and it was a mugshot. And it was a picture of the person that we had put in jail because of the camera. And I can guarantee you that every single investor I pitched talked about that deck. They're like, you're not going to believe the company I met. I don't remember exactly what they do they're putting people in jail. Like they're actually making arrests. And that was their whole pitch. It's like, mm-hmm. do you believe everyone wants to be safe? And if you do, this company doesn't make a lot of money for us. And right. I think a lot of people focus way too much early on on like how big the market is or why this product is so great. It's like, none of that actually matters. Like find that one thing that's truly special about your business and lean all the way in. But you're going to come to a point like where we are now where you know, what's your month over month growth and what's your quarter, like all of the metrics. Like I've got a, you know, data room with a thousand spreadsheets. Yeah. But that's early on. It's like, as an investor, what's going to get me super excited? Because I know that there's a, you know, 95% chance your company's not going to make it. So I want to be emotionally connected. Yeah. No, I think that's excellent advice. Um, I think that that whole key takeaway like you said investors may not understand what you're doing but if you have that one little tidbit in your deck that draws that draws their attention that makes them want to share that deck or talk about it with another investor is so key um something sometimes a lot of decks do miss out on that but i love that insight from you garrett and as a founder and a leader you know you're managing hundreds of people the company is growing how many employees do you have right now? Just over 300. Wow. Yeah. So just over 300 people. 
you know, as founders are raising seed series A capital, what are some tips for company building, hiring, building a culture that is inclusive and that people really want to work in day in and day out? Yeah. I mean, for me, it gets back to mission. Like I've, this is the third company I've been a part of and in a founding capacity and the two that did the best were the two that had the strongest missions out of the gate. Because I think at the beginning of a company, you know, let's talk about the first 100 employees, definitely the first 10 or 20 employees, all you've got is your mission. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like your product's probably not where it needs to be. Your revenue's not where it needs to be. You don't have a lot of cash to throw around to salaries. So you're really selling people the dream. And, and if your dream is we're going to all go make a bunch of money, like, well, the odds are that's not going to happen. And so when something goes wrong, you're going to lose everyone. And most likely early stage, you're going to have more things go wrong than right. And so for us, it's always been got to define why you exist. You've got to define what the future world you think should exist and how you're going to get there. And then if you have that, I think it actually winds up being really easy to recruit because your top of funnel becomes very narrow very quickly. Because it's like, do you fundamentally believe in this mission and what we can accomplish in the next decade? If you do, then like jump on board. We'll figure out the details later. But if you don't, it's like you should just go work, you know, at a much bigger company. You know, there are great companies out there. So that that's that's for us what's always been super important early on is like everyone, you look at a company like Flock, you know, we've got employees in just over 20 states. We have different educational backgrounds, we have different races, different religions, different sexual orientations. We got the whole thing covered, but we all believe crime shouldn't exist. And like that's our common denominator. Yeah. No, I love that. That's a great insight. And for the business, who is your end customer? Are you selling to municipalities? Are you selling to consumers? How is flock safety flock safety practically being used here? Yeah. So we sell to three primary groups. Uh, the first is municipalities. So if you're in the Atlanta area, you know that's the city of Atlanta. That's Sandy Springs. It's College Park. It's Union City. It's DeKalb County, Cobb County. It's, you know, it's municipalities. We sell to them. And then we also sell to pretty much anyone inside of that municipality. So if you go to a place like Sandy Springs, we have neighborhoods, we have in-town suites, we have a parking lot. If there's a part of piece of dirt that you care about, you're a potential flock customer. So we really break it up into those, those two big buckets is the municipalities and then the citizens of that municipality who want to be protected. Gotcha. Gotcha. And as you know, you just raised that capital, the company is growing, you have over 300 employees, you know, what does success look like for you all for the rest of this year? Yeah. So we should knock on wood, double the company again in terms of revenue in the next, you know, before the end of the year, which would be great. Uh, so what we're on track to do, um, that's, that's on revenue, not on an employee headcount. That'd be a lot of people. We'll probably add another hundred, 150 people to the company. But for us, you know, what we always go back to is we don't lead with revenue or headcount. We lead with crime. What I look for is how many of the cities that have trusted us with the job of helping them stay safe, how many of them see a significant reduction in crime? You know, I was talking to the, the folks over in Fort Worth, Texas, and they've doubled their clearance rate, which is a really strong indicator they're going to have a big reduction soon. So clearance rate is the measure of like, if a crime happens, what's the likelihood it gets gets solved? They've seen that double since working with Flock. What we see 
anecdotally is that once you drive a higher clearance rate, you eventually start to see crime reduction because criminals are relatively smart and don't want to get arrested. And so like I'm I get excited when I see places like Marietta or places like Cobb County or places like South Fulton throw up to just incredible stats in terms of overall crime reduction. So my hope is that every customer, you know, in the back half of the year sees a big drop, particularly in violence, which, you know, we know has seen a, an uptick this this year since COVID. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, transitioning here a bit, Garrett, you're a Georgia Tech grad, you grew up here. When you started Flock, was there any instance in your mind that you would build elsewhere other than the city of Atlanta? Or was Atlanta always top of mind for you? So we did contemplate moving the business to San Francisco. Um, you know, back in you know four years ago, that was quite normal. Um, I think it's become less normal, especially with COVID. But my the team and I sat down and said, feels a bit disingenuous to say we're going to build this company that's focused on solving crime, and then we're just going to say like peace to our own hometown when like all all three of us are largely from Atlanta. And so, so it felt wrong to to do that. So we kind of had that come to you know. Like, this is what we should do. And so we we stuck it out and we've been in Atlanta ever since. Good. I'm glad you all didn't leave the city. You know, it's, I agree. Me too. It's, it's home, man. And, you know, what are some of the network effects that you've seen building here in Atlanta? You know, network effects is often the term synonymous with Silicon Valley in the Bay Area. But I feel like Atlanta's ecosystem has its own set of network effects. And, and what are some that you've seen and experienced in the business? Yeah. You know, I can't speak to other cities. But when I think about Atlanta, one thing that has really changed over the last four years is the amount of camaraderie between founders. Like I'm, I'm on a you know, text message group with most of the VC-backed, you know, startups here that are post, you know, post, let's say, post Series B, and that's awesome. Like, you know, what an incredible resource because it's not a zero-sum game we're playing. Like, yeah, talent's tight, but like it's not that tight. There's great people everywhere. We're better off just convincing the larger you know, technology community, whether you're at Home Depot or Delta or Coca-Cola to come join an early stage company, because you and I talk about a place like Flock being later stage, right? We have 300 employees. Like, well, I'm a small regional division at Coca-Cola, right? So like for someone leaving a, a home, like we recently brought on a leader from Home Depot and she's incredible, but like she was leading a team of 200 people when she left Home Depot and she's moved to an IC role. And like, that is that is a total 180. And so I think the more people we as a, as a VC and technology community can, can show some of our Fortune 100 friends that there's a place for them as well in this community, the better off we are. And so I think that camaraderie has been something that's like really special that I, I don't think exists. Maybe it does exist everywhere, but I love that we have it in Atlanta. Yeah, man. I, I think, like you said, the talent pool here is so ginormous. You think about the universities. Georgia Tech, Georgia State, Morehouse, Spelman. You have all these yep. schools in town that are just putting out consistent cohorts of talent. So, you know, there's there's not a shortage. It's going to continue to grow, continue to feed, and really accelerate the ecosystem, I believe. And, mm -hmm. you know, as, as we're wrapping up here, Garrett, I heard word on the street is that you're a big uh, wine connoisseur. Um, <laughs> what, what are the origins right. of that? you got to find ways to take a break. So I, there's two <laughs> things I love in life outside of work and my family, and that's working out and drinking wine. Uh, and those go hand in hand really well together. But yeah, I mean, to me, there's something to be said about celebrating life and nothing does that better than a bottle of champagne. So I'm of the camp that champagne is for every day because every day is worth celebrating if you're alive and you're healthy and you have a healthy family. 
Uh, and I'm fortunate to have that uh, today and, and really, really for a long time. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big wine guy. I, I can't, get, can't get enough of it. <laughs> well said, Garrett. Well said. Well, yeah, man, I think this was a, a really great conversation. I love your advice around early stage fundraising tips, company building, and how mission is really the, the driver of mm-hmm. getting talent to the team, man. It's so important to really portray and articulate that mission. Really, really appreciate you joining me, Garrett. And I, I hope we can do this again soon, man. And congratulations on the recent funding round as well. Thank you. Likewise, and uh, ha- have a great rest of your day. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Atlanta Startup Podcast. You know, we're not just a podcast. We're a community. And we'd love to see you at one of our digital or physical events. Go to valor.vc and sign up for an event that makes sense for you. We have events for founders and the investors who back them. Another event you might enjoy is Startup Runway. The Startup Runway Foundation is a Valor organization that provides $10,000 grants to founders who are women or people of color building next generation software products. Applications are free, and we'd love to hear from you at startuprunway.org. That's startuprunway.org. And as always, thank you so much to the organizations that make this podcast possible. Not only Valor Ventures, but also Right to Market, a tech marketing and PR agency in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Startup Runway Foundation, and Atlanta Tech Park, Valor's headquarters, and also headquarters for over 100 local entrepreneurs building global businesses. See you next week. Please bookmark the podcast and join us.